This is a special presentation of Colors, a dialogue on race in America. I'm J.J. Green. On Monday, June 21st, the Supreme Court unanimously ruled that the National Collegiate Athletic Association cannot prohibit small payments to student-athletes. This decision highlights the mounting challenges to a system that governs college sports, which generates massive sums of money for schools but provides little or no compensation to the athletes. This is an issue that plays a significant role in racial injustice, whether it's deliberate or not. And we want to explain why this decision is so important. So to do that, we're speaking with Jeffrey Kessler, an attorney who played a key role in bringing this case before the Supreme Court. Mr. Kessler, I got in touch with you because I wanted to talk with you uh, for the Colors podcast. The Colors podcast is a is a podcast that deals with racial issues in America, and it's designed to be a civil, respectful uh, enlightening uh, dialogue between people of different races, bringing all the different races together. And um, this issue that came up from the Supreme Court yesterday, uh, a ruling that provides an incremental increase in how college athletes can be compensated, uh, f- to my to my way of reading it, there there is a significant racial um, element here. Uh, I know that Please forgive me if I'm incorrect, but I think you are the lead attorney for the plaintiffs. Is that correct? I'm the co-lead attorney, yes. Okay. So first, would you uh, tell us, thanks for joining us on the show, but would you tell us um, uh, what this Supreme Court ruling was? So this was an antitrust class action on behalf of all of the FBS football players which is the highest level of college football uh, and the division one men's and women's basketball players. And it was seeking to strike down the NCA restrictions that stopped the schools from providing more compensation and benefits to the athletes. Um, we won uh, that the rules were illegal. Uh, the relief we got uh, was very positive, but not everything we asked for. Um, we were able to obtain an elimination of restrictions on education benefits. So schools now will be free to give unlimited tutoring and computers and, and graduate school and vocational school scholarships and study abroad and, and internships and, uh, and even awards, cash awards for academic achievement. Uh, we did not win on striking down all the compensation restraints on the NCAA. It went up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court uh, affirmed our verdict nine to zero. Why? Were you seeking to do that in the first place? Tell us, um, you know, we, we, we have some we have some general understanding of this, but we as lay people and folks who aren't necessarily plugged into the way this NCAA college athlete thing goes. And, you know, as a former NCAA athlete, I have some idea, but there are a lot of folks that listen that don't know. So tell us why you were seeking to do this in the first place. So the system is totally exploitive. The, the athletes who work... Uh, in uh, FBS football, Division One basketball, and I use the work, the term "work" deliberately. Right. <laughs> uh, spend fifty hours a week 
more than a full-time job uh, on these teams uh, before they can attend a single class. Mm-hmm. And uh, they generate in these sports billions and billions of dollars in revenue. Uh, collectively, these two sports earn more money than the NBA. Wow. More money than Major League Baseball, more money than the National Hockey League. The only sport they are behind in revenue is the National Football League in this country. Uh, and yet the athletes are deprived uh, of getting any type of fair compensation for this work. So we brought this case to try to right that wrong. Uh, and uh, it's, it's a very, very important victory. Uh, but we're not at the end of the road yet. We're just in the, in the middle of the road in terms of this fight and struggle for the athletes. Well, congratulations on where you've, uh, uh, what you've achieved so far. Uh, because that, based on what you've said to us, and, you know, again, there's some uh, preliminary knowledge that we have about this, but the way you've laid it out makes it absolutely clear <laughs> that it is an occupation, uh, you know, uh, in many different ways. Tell us why this is important from a racial perspective. So the majority of FBS football players uh, and the majority of Division I basketball players, both men and women, uh, come are athletes of color. Uh, and many of them uh, come from uh, communities of, 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 of no significant wealth or means. Uh, and this exploitation uh, has all sorts of equality and social justice implications um and the type even the type of benefits we've been now been able to get could be life-changing uh for some of these athletes both for themselves and in their communities uh and it could encourage them because most of them will never spend a day in the pros so we'll encourage them to also further their educational opportunities or their vocational opportunities uh, and, you know, and get something really positive uh, for their lives going forward. So I think the case is very important. Uh, it's obviously one piece of a, of a bigger struggle uh, for uh, equality, uh, but I think it's an important one for these athletes. So how will what's taken place and what we believe are parts of the relief that you got, how will they assist in outlining the life-changing uh, elements that you talked about? I'm assuming education and finances, correct? So if you're uh, a, you know, imagine uh, an athlete in, in Division One basketball uh, and that person comes in uh, with very little money, uh, very little prospect of a career in the NBA or the WNBA. Uh, they get, they get a, a scholarship, so they're not paying tuition, uh, and they get room and board, but not much else. Now under this decision, uh, they can get um, additional tutoring and equipment to help them focus on their grades 
they can maybe get an internship in the off season to help them pursue a path of a career they want. And if they achieve a certain level of educational advancement that the school sets, they might get an, an academic achievement award of $5,900. Okay. That's a lot of money, yeah. you know, for that athlete. And, and that athlete can get that every year if the school wants to make it available. If they then need to go on to vocational school, maybe they can get a scholarship for that. Or if they could do graduate school, they can get a scholarship for that. All these educational benefits will now be available if the schools want to provide them. Now, of course, the schools have to step up and do it, yeah. but I believe they will. It's been the NCAA that's been restraining them from doing so. Well, that's, that was my next question. What makes you think the schools will step up to do this? Because it's competition. Huh. Because, because Alabama's going to do it. <laughs> and if you want to get a football player in competition with Alabama, you're going to have to do it too. Because Duke is going to do it. And if you want to get a basketball player in competition with Duke, then you're going to have to do it too. That's what competition leads to. Well, that's good. Um, I think you're what you're what you're after is something a bit, a bit more, a bit higher, more realistically speaking. Correct? Do it. Do it. Be, do it because it's the right thing, not just. Yeah, but you know what? I I, I appeal to people's moral principles. Yeah. Uh, but I trust their self interest. Mm-hmm. And, and <laughs> you know, and and my belief, and 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 I am an antitrust lawyer by trade, and and. And in, and in antitrust, we believe that a competitive market will force people to do these things. And uh, that's the hope as to what's going to happen. I could tell you that previously there was a prior case called the O'Bannon case. Yes. And in that case, before that, the NCA did not even allow full scholarships. Um, they would allow board, but they wouldn't let you even have any money for like your daily needs as a student. Uh, and the O'Bannon case um, freed that up. Uh, and as a result, uh, all of the major schools, you know, more than uh, 100 schools now give full scholarships to all of their athletes with that additional amount. They didn't have to, but competition forced them to. Yeah, I believe I remember that. That, that was Ed O'Bannon, right? Was he a UCLA basketball right. player? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So, a couple more things then. Um, what's the ultimate for you and for your your clients? And and what do you? What is the absolute ultimate for for you and your team? The ultimate would be to knock down all these restrictions entirely, uh, and let uh, the colleges have to compete for this labor the same way other businesses have to compete for this labor. Uh, but ultimately, it'll take a while still to get there. I think the next step is that uh, is what we call names, images, and likenesses, which is the ability of the athletes to do an endorsement deal or to go on social media and become an influencer mm-hmm. uh, or to hold an autograph session or, or to give lessons to kids. And this will open up opportunities for a wide variety of athletes to do that. And this is coming because a number of states have adopted laws to make it come this year. Uh, And the NCAA is going to adopt new rules to allow this to come. Uh, And if they don't 
totally free this up for competition and let the schools decide what to do, then they're going to face additional antitrust lawsuits over this. So, you know, it's kind of one step at a time. Um, you know, we have to recognize that the uh, change like this doesn't happen overnight. It's been on a long road, but I really feel like uh, with this 9-0 decision, we are on a path uh, to get there. Very last thing, is there anything I haven't asked you about that you think is important that we as consumers of sports, consumers of college educations and, um, you know, many other things that plug into this should know? No, and I think you've covered all and I applaud your podcast for addressing uh, these very, very important issues of race in our country. Um, uh, you know, uh, you know, I think it's great uh, yeah. to, to have that type of dialogue, which I really think is important if we're going to make a little bit of progress every day. Well, you've done a big deal, a big, uh, big thing here, and we thank you for it. Thank you. Congratulations Bye-bye. again. Thank you. That's Jeffrey Kessler, a lawyer for Shane Alston, a former West Virginia University running back, and he's also the lead attorney in this case. An uneducated reading of this ruling and related events suggests to me there will be more challenges as time passes and Colors will be sure to deal with them. Be sure to check out episode 55 of Colors with my guest co-host Ellen Nakashima of the Washington Post and her colleague Michelle Lee, who is president of the Asian American Journalist Association, as they discuss what it's like being an Asian American journalist in the U.S. right now. It drops on Friday, June 25th at 8 p.m. on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm J.J. Green. You've been listening to a special presentation of Colors, a dialogue on race in America. If you have questions or comments or suggestions, send us an email at colors at thecolorspodcast.com.